Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Always looking forward to this hour every week. And the power panel today is going to start with Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And later we'll be joined by Dr. Peter Kapsner. So that's the plan. Gentlemen, welcome. Sounds good, Bill. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. You guys well? Yeah, we're doing good. Very good. Good, good. Already have questions coming in, so let's get started. Sounds great. Uh, and I just want to let everyone know, and that means you, you got a question for these guys. I know you do. Or you've been thinking about a question f- that you've wanted to text in. Today's the day to do it. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. All right. Here's a question for Guide Talk. How do you respond to the statement that you are only Christian because you were born in a Christian nation? You would have been Hindu, if you were born in India, or Muslim, if born in Pakistan, how can God bring judgment on people who were not born in a Christian location? Well, you have to define what a Christian is, first of all. And I believe a Christian, biblically, is someone who's been born again. So it actually doesn't have anything to do with what nation you're born in, or who your parents were or even what the dominant religion is of the country that you were born in. It has to do with a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you become what Paul says is in Christ. You become born again. And so a Christian is, we. the world thinks of Christianity as just one of many world religions. And it's it's really not. World religions or religions in general, as I like to describe them, are, are a, a construct of man. And basically they have this one thing in common. What does man have to do in order to get right with God or to reach nirvana or to reach paradise or whatever? True biblical Christianity is not a religious system. It is a personal relationship. It's about what God has done to reach man and believing that he provided the sacrifice for our sins, believing it and being saved. So that offer, by the way, is valid for everyone in every nation. Yeah, and you look at Romans 1 and 2. Romans 1 and 2 is pretty straightforward because I'm sure Paul was asked this question. It's what he's responding to. So you're born in a nation where the missionaries have not come, the gospel has not come, you've never heard it at all. And Paul says, and if you look at Romans 1, he says basically, you know, the Lord is eminently fair, he's eminently just, and you will be judged on what you already know that's been revealed to you very plainly, you know, in nature and all around you. So without the knowledge of Jesus, there is still salvation for those that have never heard. Here's the key, though. Most of these people, and I've been to India and those places, most of these people are trapped by fear. They don't understand the meaning of forgiveness. They don't understand the meaning of grace. They don't have any real hope. They're they're living day to day in a chaotic situation. When the gospel comes of Jesus and they hear that good news, as as one 
Indian man told me, he said, now I have freedom for the first time in my life. And I know also that I have the assurance of eternal life. So whether you're born in India or not, we need to take the gospel message there. People want to hear it desperately because they're so trapped in their belief systems. But if they never hear, that does not mean that the Lord has abandoned them. Not at all. You know, in conversation with folks, Oftentimes you'll you'll hear the line, well, if, if they have to hear the gospel and believe and be saved, what about the guy in the Amazon rainforest, you know, who's never heard of Jesus? What is God going to do with him? Well, first, I know that all God's judgments are going to be perfect. So I right. know that, number one. But two, I always find it interesting. I usually reply to, why is everybody so worried about this guy down in the Amazon? And if you're so worried... How about going down there and telling them about Jesus if you're that worried about him? But Tom mentioned something from Romans 1 that I think is very important. And Romans 1 says that all creation declares the glory of God. He says his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So every single person on this planet has the witness of creation that testifies about God. We Mankind should say, look at all of this that's here. Who made this? And I know this promise in the word that if you seek the Lord God, you will find the Lord God if you seek him with all of your heart. And we got to remember, too, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, you know, that eternity is already in their hearts. And that, for me, is the good news as I've gone out in the mission field, because I don't have to go out and try to stir up uh, spiritual desire. It's already there. What I need to do is clarify what that's really all about, and his name is Jesus. And if we even break it down on a more macro, uh, micro level, because you don't have to go to Pakistan or India, you can think of, like my friend uh, growing up in high school, who didn't live that far from me, that was my friend in Turns out after we got to be friends, he was Jewish and I was not. So it's like, how did you end up being Jewish? Well, because he grew up, grew up in a Jewish home. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's a completely fair question. And I love the question uh, because I think people always, they're always looking for a sense of fair, fairness. How is it fair? They want fairness above all. Well, for your Jewish friend, here's the good news. He, he's grown up in a country where the message is readily available. Amen. And so he can hear that message where the people in in some places in India or South America haven't heard the message. When you hear the message, the spirit stirs your heart. And once your heart is stirred, then it's now not just simply, oh, I was born here, so I don't have a choice. Now my choice is, am I going to follow the one true God revealed in Jesus Christ, or am I going to go back to my old way of life? And for those that I have met that have come to faith in Jesus, for them, it was night and day. Mm. You know, our, my church, part of its mission statement is across the street and around the world. And guess what? We all have neighbors that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and haven't been born again. They've had access in, in unprecedented ways in our day to hear the Word of God. It's on the Internet. It's over the radio. It's on TV. It's all over. It's hard to miss it right. in this country uh, especially. Uh, and yet I've there are tons of people in this world who have not believed the message. And to, to key off of one more thing that Tom said, that spiritual yearning and that awakening, you know, I, I think it's in Thessalonians, it says that when the gospel is preached, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that we can have salvation through him, 
it says that message comes with power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So if you're worried about having the right words to talk to your neighbor or to proclaim the gospel, don't worry about it. God is right there giving your words power and deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. All right. I'll shake up the hornet's nest a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Baptism, complete immersion in water, sprinkling, are they the same? Or did baptism by the Holy Spirit supersede water baptism? Thank you. Oh, boy, this must be by a former Lutheran who brought this one up. (laughs) Uh, There's a a mixture here in Christianity. If you understand baptism, baptismo, it certainly means immersion. But to what extent does it mean immersion? And what is it, the immersion in the water, or is it simply the immersion in the Spirit? Well, the Bible says both. There's a place where it talks about both water and the Spirit, so I don't want to dismiss that. But the bottom line is, what we forget is that this is a covenant. And that's why where Bible is called the Old Covenant and New Covenant. We say New Testament, Old Testament, and that comes from the Septuagint, which was Latin. But it went into Latin as Old Covenant, New Covenant. We don't understand covenants anymore in our culture. We don't understand that the Lord comes looking for us long before we ever go looking for him. And that he is not put off by our age. He is not put off by our intellect or anything like that. And so he comes reaching when he wants to. Now, here's the problem. Lutherans, who I grew up around, we baptize infants, kids, adults, whoever needs to be baptized. And I've baptized in rivers and everywhere else. But the problem is we, we let baptism become a ritual instead of explaining it is a covenant. And in this covenant, this child is called to respond as they grow older to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be taught the truth of the gospel, and to become the Lord's disciple. And that technically is the responsibility of the parents and the sponsors, except most of them have a party, and then they forget about it. And, and I don't want to be overly critical there, but the bottom line is our goal from day one is always to mature in Christ, no matter where the covenant begins. And think about the Jews. Nobody argues about the Jews being circumcised on the eighth day as children. They became part of the covenant, and the prophets held them accountable. You're part of the covenant people. And they didn't have a choice in that at eight days. So it's a mixture in the scriptures, and it's not easy to figure out uh, the way we'd like to. But the bottom line is, you know, if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, get baptized. And if you have been, walk with him. So I have read, I'm no first century historian expert or anything, but I've read that baptism in the first century was a generally accepted uh, sign or practice of of many different groups, that it showed that you became affiliated with this particular group. Okay, so none, understanding that for physical baptism, let's then go to the how the Bible used baptism. We know that Jesus was baptized. We know that John baptized. And we know that, like Tom mentioned, that baptism was practiced as immersion. You went into the water and came out of the water. So, but let's move it to the heart of this question. He's asking about kind of the distinction between a water baptism, whatever that looks like and signifies, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So I have asked in my classes kind of a trick question. Do you need to be baptized to be saved? And the answer, of course, depends on which baptism you're talking about. For a water baptism, no, you do not need a water baptism to be saved. But you do need what is described in Scripture as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I think Acts 10 and 11 make it clear that that phrase 
baptism of the Holy Spirit is what precisely Jesus was describing, uh, and it equates to receiving the Holy Spirit. So do you need to have been baptized by the Holy Spirit to be saved? You need to have received the Holy Spirit through faith. And so I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is one of the things that happens the moment you believe and are saved. Now that you're saved, many believe that you should now enter the waters of baptism and show your affiliation with your new identity, your new group. And the last part of that is baptism, it's going into the water and coming out. And and a lot of people teach, and I agree with this, that that signifies our death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. Death to the old man and the resurrection of the new self. We're a new creation. We've been born again in newness of life. And that's what a water baptism um, symbolizes. But I don't believe water baptism imparts anything spiritual on the person. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Good response, Jeff. I think I'll take a break and I'll see what happens on the text line over the break Uh-oh. if we continue this conversation. Um, I can or, bring a lot uh, of confusion to this topic. Oh, I bet you can. I, I think you guys, you guys both did a good job. Uh, so if you have um, a question for Guide Talk, you can text the question to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the Afternoon Show. We are enjoying Guy Talk, or guys who talk, and they do a great job. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. Peter Capson will be joining us at the bottom half of the hour. Look forward to that. Uh, we were just before the break chatting about baptism, and I did get another uh, text that came in from a listener that it's First Peter 3.21 that talks about, uses the phrase, the baptism which now saves you. How are we to understand that? Yeah, let me let me go up back to the, uh, you know, there's one faith, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism. Uh, I'm quoting a passage and I'm looking for uh, that, uh, Ephesians 4, 5. Uh, so the one baptism, and I think the one baptism that saves is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the spiritual baptism. It's the it's the the spiritual impartation of the Holy Spirit on those who believe. Um, so look, there's a fundamental question, and there we were just talking about this at break. That um, you know, baptism has in a lot of ways become a religious ritual, like Tom was mentioning earlier. And there's lots of denominations who have taken it and defined it and described it as many, many different things. But in the end, uh, I don't think it's water that saves anybody. I think it's faith that can save anybody. Maybe I can offer a little insight to this. Uh, I know over in the Middle East, as 
people became Christians. Many of them became Christians but didn't go for baptism because the moment they were baptized in the river, their families rejected them. The authorities rejected them because they saw that as a departure from their tradition, their family, their history. And so in this context, because I'm preaching on First Peter right now, I've been preaching on this for the last six months, what's interesting about this is that the Christians he's writing to were facing persecution from Rome. They were already facing problems. Baptism, he's saying here, is, look, you say you believe in Jesus. Now I'm paraphrasing. This is not scripture. You say you believe in Jesus. Now, now it's time to get baptized because it's part of the, the whole process of salvation. Well, when they went for baptism then in the river, they made themselves a target. And many of them suffered, and many of them were persecuted, and some of them died. So it's a combination, and and I like what Jeff is saying about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about that enough and understand that. What, But the problem is, it's not a ritual. No matter how we cut it down, it is not a ritual. In Peter's explanation here, as I read this, he would understand that as part of the covenant process. You're part of the covenant people of God, you know, when you depart from your old way of life and go to the river and you're immersed. It, but it is also the power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to that point, because I can't believe in Jesus except the Spirit has woken me up. And without the Spirit there, I'm lost. So the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, Ephesians 4, 5, I think the baptism is the water. First Peter 3.21 says this water symbolizes the physical water is a symbol of the literal baptism of the Spirit mm-hmm. that I think has saved you. So I think it's water is a, a symbol of what has occurred. Because you can't, when you receive the Holy Spirit, we actually don't see anything. No. Right? We don't see any physical change. Water is a physical representation of your new life. And I think that's how, that, I think that's the meaning of water baptism. Nicely done. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. This next one has been a problem that's been around for as long as I can remember. And it involves uh, a listener that was saying, you know, before my husband came to know Jesus, he avoided everything to do with faith, religion, uh, because of uh, how he was told he had to do things this way and not do that. And he didn't like being told what to do. And and he also uh, thought Christianity was boring and you couldn't do anything fun. So it must be the world, the flesh, and the devil that has reframed inaccurately what an abundant life in Christ is. Hmm. Um, so I guess the, the, uh, the question was, uh, is, there, is there a way we can change the world? So Because we've become so divisive that you can't even bring anything up anymore. Uh, can, can we change the world? Uh I think we can change the world by bringing Christ to the world, right, and changing individual hearts all the while. But the world sees Christianity as what we were talking about earlier, as a religion, as a religious system with a set of rules. And so there are some who say, well, I'm not interested in Christianity because they're the not they're not the fun people and everything that I want to do they say well, I'm not supposed to do and that's they they have all these rules that say do this and don't do that and I can't have any fun if I become a Christian and that's how they see it and that's how the world sees it and so part of our job is to tell the world Christianity is not a religious system with just a whole bunch of rules it's a personal relationship it is life from death The problem with mankind is that, as Paul writes, we are dead in our trespasses and sins in need of life. 
And if we were to proclaim Christianity as an offer of life and life eternal and not just a religious system with a bunch of rules, uh, I think we would have a different response from the world. Well, here's the problem. The world has a very good way of caricaturizing Christianity. When they don't want it or they don't want anybody telling them what to do or they don't want to have to submit to Jesus and repent of their whatever they're doing, it becomes very easy to paint the whole thing as they're not fun. They don't do this. Well, I've gone to Dairy Queen, and at times it wasn't fun, but that doesn't stop me from going to Dairy Queen. You know, it has nothing to do with that. We have, and, and we always want to talk about all the rules. There are no rules in Christianity when you really get down to it. The only, there are only two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbors yourself. You know, beyond this... You know, you have to be led by the Spirit to do different things. And we get so caught up in that. And I think it comes down to this. And I've been evangelizing atheists and agnostics for years. They're good at excuses. They can always find the flaw. They can always find something wrong. And believe me, the church has a great history of being flawed and doing things wrong. But that doesn't make the whole thing wrong. Sometimes the display is wrong, and it's kind of like watching the football teams, you know. We're, we're watching, we're going to be watching here in Minnesota the Vikings play again. And, you know, why don't they win the Super Bowl? Well, is it because they're incompetent? No. They just didn't have it that year. Well, oftentimes we do that with Christianity. It doesn't fit our genre or our thinking, and so we throw it out. And so I'd love to talk to those people. Please call me. I'd love to talk to you about this. I remember talking to a friend of mine, and we had about an hour conversation about Christ, the Bible, truth, God, heaven, so on. And at the end, they had grown up in a, uh, we'll just say a kind of a strict religious uh, denomination. And they said at the end, well, I don't know. I'm just sick and tired of religion. And I said to them, you know, that's a really good place to start. Yeah. And they said, what do you mean? You're very religious. And I said, I don't have a religious bone in my body. You know who the most religious people in the in the Bible were? They were represented by the Pharisees, right, who just thought God was a set of rules. I am interested in a Christianity that is a personal relationship you go. with the risen Lord Jesus. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that Christianity is the only belief system in the world where people come up with these kind of excuses? They don't do that with Hinduism. They don't do that with Shinto. They don't do that with Confucianism. You don't find people arguing against it or saying, I don't like the rules or anything else. It is only Christianity, and that tells me the devil's working real hard because he knows this is where the real answer is. Yeah. Well, I think we handled the baptism questions well. I appreciate both of your uh, responses and inputs. It was great. Uh, a listener said, I, I started out in the Church of Christ, so perhaps that's the reason for my curiosity. They emphasize baptism heavily. So I'm sure it's uh, very different among denominations. So I appreciate you handling those so well. We're um, going to take a break here in just uh, 40 seconds, but I'd love for you to get your question and send it over. 877-933-2484. That's text only. Again, 877-933-2484. Power panel is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And I have a feeling when we return in just a couple of minutes, uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner will be joining us as well. So again, if you uh, are just tuning in, you're listening to the afternoon show. And this is Guy Talk, one of my favorite hours of the week. I love getting together with my friends and talking about the truth of the gospel. There's nothing like it. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. If you've got a question, send it over via text 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Ferdorn are my power panel unless Peter has joined us. I don't know yet. Well, that dead air means he's not with us yet. (laughs) (laughs) Or he's playing really hard to get. All right. Here's a question that just came in. Can you... uh, where in the Bible does Jesus say that I am the God and worship me? And where is it said that no one can access the God who is from eternity to eternity? Let's start with the first part of that one. Um, Jesus, we know of at least seven times in the New Testament where he identifies himself as the same as the one true God, Yahweh. Uh, uses the same language, all the same symbolism, like with Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. And he said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't understand that when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, one of the advantages I have, and, and, and Jeff and others, is that we spent a lot of time in the original Greek text. When you look at the Greek text, it's even more implicit than we can get it in English. Uh, here's another one, John 17, 3. Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He, right there, Jesus puts himself on exactly the same level as the what we know as the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. The two are identical in this text. And so, although it doesn't say it in English, very straightforward, Hey, I'm God, pay attention to me. It says it, and it says it over and over. And so it is there. Yeah, I remember talking to a, a lady a few years ago, and we were talking about Jesus and his claims and who he was, and and I said something about Jesus being God in the flesh, and she said, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I said, well, that's interesting, because in John 10, 33, it says that Jesus asked the, the religious leaders, they, why are you stoning me for any of the good work I've done? And they replied, no, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claimed to be God. So the people around Jesus understood that he actually did claim to be God. And that's what really got him crucified in the end. They were furious over that. That is. That's really what, you're you're right, that's what what they were so upset about for blasphemy. They they thought that was a, a terrible thing to do to claim to be God. Remember when the paralytic was let down and Jesus said, uh, is it easier for you to forgive a man's sin or to say, get up and walk? And the fair, and he, so he says, get up and walk. And the Pharisees were incensed. Not that this guy was walking. It's like they didn't applaud Jesus for healing the guy. They got upset with Jesus for claiming to forgive sin, which only God could do. And then part of that question is, was he worshiped? And the answer is yes. Yeah. As a, actually, from his very birth, yeah. Jesus was worshipped. And that is described in the New Testament, including Thomas, who, once he stopped doubting and believed, fell down before Christ and said, my Lord and my God. Um, so, uh, and it is clear, by the way, um, that the way to heaven, John fourteen six. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
that eternal God that that questioner is asking about, except through me, Jesus said. One of the most humbling experiences I had, Jeff, I was in uh, Bangladesh with a missionary and my wife. We were all together, and we went to some women's group that they had started. Well, the women's group had flowers for me, you know, because the pastor. They didn't care about Jan, you know, but the pastor <laughs> had come. The woman who brought him over came halfway across the floor and threw herself on the floor at my feet and put her head on my feet. And I was so embarrassed, you know, and I said to her, please get up. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a, a man. Please get up. And she couldn't understand me in her language. And the, the missionary says to me, I've been there all these years. Nobody's done that for me. <laughs> but the point, the point is simple. Jesus never told anybody, get up when they did that. When they honored him, he never said, oh, no, 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 you only honor. No, he said he accepted their honor. And I understand the difference. Yeah. Well, Peter, what do you think? Well, that's one of of the smartest things he said in a long time. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, he is a doctor, so we don't know if he's doing surgery or a veterinary procedure. Is he a a doctor? Dr. Peter Peter Casper. Oh, it is, yes. Boy, I should have known that. There's power there. Oh yeah, there's big power there. All right, there's. I love this. I love this passage in Hebrews. I want to say it's maybe chapter three, but it's that verse that says, "Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts." Yeah, seems like a lot of people stop at that place in the verse, and they they use that as some. Uh, is this? A, they treat it as a, a condition preventing new faith. But if you read the verse, it says, "Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion." during the time of testing in the wilderness. So is this a condition preventing new faith or something that can happen in the midst of difficulty and doubt? Well, I think it's it's a call to say, hey, don't be like your ancestors, right? They saw God's work. They heard his voice. They saw the miracles that he did. They saw the Red Sea uh, parted before them and Pharaoh's armies destroyed and did they then turn to God and say, okay, we're going to follow you no matter what? No, they went and they built a golden calf and started worshiping it. Uh, so I think the writer of Hebrews is basically saying to the Jews, don't be like your ancestors. They hardened their hearts to God and didn't believe. You don't harden your heart. This is what God has done in your day. He sent his son to die and rise again from the cross. Believe it and be saved. I think most of us don't understand what it means to harden your heart. And that's an important concept because most of us harden our hearts through indifference. Oh, we heard, but we're not going to take the time to research it. We're not going to take the time to read what Jesus said. One of the things I produced a long time ago uh, was with the Gospel of John. I call it the 21-day challenge. What I tell people is read one chapter a day, and with each chapter there's one question and there's one challenge. And, you know, you can call me anytime in between. I've seen a lot of people come to faith. Here's the problem. People that won't do that because they're indifferent or they've hardened their hearts in the sense that I don't need that. I can't do anything to save them. What we can do, though, is that when your heart begins to melt and you open yourself up to a discipline of reading the scriptures, of praying, of asking the Lord, you know, I mean, right in the, the, what I've tried to design here is I, I, if you're an atheist and you're reading the gospel of John, You know, at the end of one of the chapters, I say, just for the fun of it, pray this prayer out loud. Jesus, if you're real, you know, speak to my heart. Come to me. And the fun part is one atheist told me, you know, I did that. And he did. So (laughs) we want people to not be rebellious in the sense of not doing it. 
it's not that we're throwing stones at the Bible. It's not that we're throwing stones at Jesus. Usually it's just indifference and we don't follow through. You know, that was Hebrews 3.15 um, to, to give the, rest, the, the reference to our listeners. But right before that, I think it explains what this is all about. Verse 12 in Hebrews 3 says, See to it, brothers, you fellow Jews, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It goes on to say that uh, about talks about those who are, had disobeyed, who were disobedient. Uh, they wandered, and it says that so we see that you were not able to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. Uh, verse eighteen at the end, or nineteen at the end of Hebrews three. So I, I think it's just a call to believe. Don't harden your heart. Don't reject God. Don't have an unbelieving heart. Mm-hmm. Do you agree, Peter? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, here's another question. How should one more minutes pray? of that, right? It's, well, I know, it's, gonna, it's, it's already getting old to me. For me, it's already getting old. So. All right, how should one pray when it seems like God has been silent? You keep praying, and, mm. you, t- and you go to other Christians, and you ask them to pray with you, and you verbalize it, and sometimes you need to do it out loud. Uh, oftentimes, I, I know, I've... You think, hey, a pastor all these years, certainly the Lord answers all your prayers or you get answers. No, I don't. There are times it's real dry where I'm not hearing anything back or nothing's jumping out at me. Well, then I turn to a Christian brother usually and say, pray with me. I'm having a hard time here. I'm not seeing what the Lord's doing. And when I've done that, uh, what's interesting about that, Bill, is that almost usually within a couple of days to a week, I start hearing again or getting answers I hadn't had before, but it usually comes through, we'll stumble across the scripture passage together, or my friend will say to me, well, Tom, have you ever thought about this? Well, no, but suddenly I realized it wasn't my friend saying that. That was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. So it can it can go that way, but do not isolate yourself. The devil's main ploy is isolation. Keep it to yourself. Hide it. Don't talk about it. Be miserable with it and enjoy it. You know, that's not what we want to do. We want to share this with one another. You know, we were actually talking before the show about miracles and God doing works of miracles. And it's like, wouldn't it be great if he still just did all kinds of miracles and stuff that we could see and we could point to and proclaim? And and I think the answer is he actually is still doing miracles around the globe. And, uh, and, and it's wonderful when we recognize it. But we want that kind of miraculous answer to our prayers immediately and so on. And you got to remember, a lot of times all the miraculous stuff uh, happened you know, rarely and far apart in the Bible. There's lots of cases in them, but you see, it's, there's hundreds of years where God didn't respond to Israel. There's decades where people, you know, in between the miracle accounts in some of the the Bible. So, uh, I think the start of Tom's answer is just right. When when you are not getting an answer to the prayer, keep praying, and uh, and and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the, one of the questions that I, I get often, does God still speak to his people today? And it's like, man, what, what a, not a, I don't want to say silly question, but of course he still speaks. Yes. We still have the spirit of God. He speaks through his spirit. He still has the word of God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the, the uh, others believers that we have in our life, as you were describing just a minute ago. So keep praying. God will speak to you if you are listening to him. All right, here's a question. Uh, you guys have to open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. If it's uh, starting in verse, uh, let's see here. I want to say it's verse uh, 
12 and 13. Can you, ex- can you explain this? Uh, I love Proverbs, Proverbs 12 8. and 13. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Um, because it, the, the title in my Bible is Wisdom's Call. And I actually believe I've written in my Bible, I've changed that title. I've changed it to Jesus's call. I think wisdom is Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. First Corinthians one twenty five and Colossians 2 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And so this entire passage, this entire call to wisdom, I really believe that the actual higher, the, the next, it's sure, it's a call for wisdom. I think the next higher spiritual kind of understanding of this is it's actually Jesus's call. And then the verses, which two verses did you mention specifically? 12 and 13. So let's read them. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance and evil behavior and perverse speech. Um, you know, specifically, there are people sometimes have an issue with saying that God hates certain things. And actually, there are several places in the Bible where God does say, I, I hate this. I don't like these things. These are what I don't like. Uh, but he loves wisdom. There's good attributes and there are bad attributes. And so we should reject the evil and the bad and accept the good. And in the end, I think the good that we accept is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I know we have to take a break, but I want to come back, Jeff, to what you just said, because you've made an important point and I don't want to miss that. Okay. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, more guy talk or guys who talk and let me know what question you might have for them. Text it over to 877 877- 933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show is Guy Talk, and we are so glad you are sending over great questions, which you do every week, and we love it. And my power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn, and we thought we were getting Peter, but, you know, we did tie a ribbon around the old oak tree. We'll see <laughs> We'll see if he shows. I'm not counting on it anymore. But, Tom, I think you wanted to add something to the Proverbs 8.12 verse. I do, and I've been teaching the Bible for a long, long time. One of the things I try to get across to students is exactly what Jeff just did, and and I hope you heard that. He looked at the passage, and it talked about wisdom, and then he realized that the New Testament talks about Jesus as having as being that wisdom, and he put the two together. And I think the problem for most people when it comes to the Bible is that we isolate the verse, and then we want an explanation of the isolated verse as compared to the rest of the Bible. Now, I know that's a big task. I'm not going to kid anybody. That's a hard one for everyone to do. However, looking at it in context here and then getting the global picture, you find Jesus. And if you don't find Jesus, I'm not sure you're going to understand in our day and age what verses 12 and 13 are about. So thank you, Jeff. Hmm. All right. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 12, speaks to multiple books on which people will be judged. Have there 
ever been any discoveries or discussion on these additional books apart from the Book of Life? Yeah, I've got a copy of them all. Do you want to know what everybody's done? <laughs> Make it a premium gift. Yeah. Wow, I like it. No, these are the books that Revelation says are recorded in them, the deeds of all the lost. Remember, we are in Revelation 20. We're going to the great white throne judgment. That's the context here. And this is the judgment where all of the lost from the very beginning of time until the end are going to be judged before God. And uh, and you understand the picture. God is on the throne. Jesus, whom all authority to judge has been given to, is on the throne. But you know who else is on the throne? We are on the throne. Jesus himself in Revelation 3 says, I will give you the right to sit on my throne just as God gave me, Jesus, the right to sit on his throne. Paul says, don't you know we will judge the world, even angels? This is the day that we do that. In front of us is lost humanity. And that humanity is going to, because they are lost and their deeds are written in this book. But really, these books of deeds are really not the important book in this scene. Because it says, then I saw another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Ah, that's the important book. And none of their names are going to be found in that book. And as a result, they are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. I'm an author. I don't want any of my books opened. I don't want my name on the front of the book. I want Jesus' name on the book so that when he opens it, it is his shed blood that redeems me, not my deeds. Because I'm not going to have enough deeds, no matter what I do, to satisfy the requirements of the law. Absolutely. You know, I love every question that comes in, and I I, I love this one. And the question is, why are there so many religions and so many different beliefs which beliefs should we go by? The ones that are true. And, and the reason I say that is you look at all the world's religions, and I've been privileged to study most of them. Not all of them. There are, there are many more out there. But many of the major religions out there. There is no other religion that offers a savior. There is no other religion that offers the assurance of forgiveness. There is no other religion that talks about being saved by grace through faith. There is no other religion that guarantees paradise unless you do something spectacular. And so when you begin to compare them, and and this is what I think, you can't even compare the world religions to Christianity. I mean, they are a belief system that basically I think people have made up out of their own context and their own understanding. But they're missing the most important element, and that's Jesus. That's where the power is. And without Jesus, these other religions have no hope in them whatsoever. They're simply they're going through the acts, and they're hoping something. I just saw a video online the other day where it showed some uh, uh, Hindus, and they were trying to make up for their sins. And so they had a mat, and they're on a road, and they throw the mat down, and they throw themselves on the mat, and they throw a stone out in front of them. And then they pick up the mat, and they do it again. They do this thousands of times but they still don't have the assurance of forgiveness when they're done. Where with Jesus, what he did for us is over and done. You know, if you are listening and you are going to evaluate the world's religions and the re- religious claims or the truth claims of each of the major world religions, um, I would argue begin with Christianity. 
uh, because it's the only one where its leader or its founder claimed to have rise, raised from the dead, right? Every other religious figure in all of history died and is still dead. Right. Um, Jesus is the only one that has on his resume risen from the grave, yeah. right? So start there. But it's interesting because one of the common complaints of Christianity is, oh, you guys are just so exclusive. You claim to have the only way to God. Um, well, I just read from Acts 14 that says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes, or John 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Paul says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. So Christianity does claim exclusivity. They claim Christ claimed to be the only road to God. The, the world says all roads lead to God. That's a lie. It's not true. But when you start looking at the world's religions, guess what? They all make exclusive claims for reaching nirvana or paradise or their God or whatever. They all have claims that are mutually exclusive of everyone else. So every religious system out there is exclusive. Can you imagine sitting on an airplane with some airborne rangers and they're all going to bail out over their target? You're the only one that doesn't have a parachute. And so you start out by saying, you think parachutes are the only way to get down? You know, and then they all jump out. Well, you're in trouble. And that's really what Christianity is. The problem is most people don't take the time to look in depth at what Jesus really says. You look in depth at Jesus' claims and what he does and how he changes lives. It's phenomenal. And I've been doing this for 50 years, and there's nothing better in the universe. And I was on my way to motion pictures in Hollywood, so I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I've been preaching the gospel. You have the best stories and examples, I tell you. They're great. Thank you. All right. Here's another uh, question. Some say we are doing kingdom living now, but isn't that future in the thousand-year millennial reign? It's both. I mean, we are we are from—there is a future kingdom to come. That's why Jesus had us pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Open up the newspaper— And you'll understand that the kingdom of heaven is not yet on earth, right? Jesus is going to come back and establish his kingdom. So it is future. But when we believe in Christ, we become participants of that kingdom. And in fact, uh, the New Testament describes us as ambassadors from that kingdom in this world. So it's both. We We are participants of the kingdom right now but it's yet future to to reign on earth. Yeah, and Jesus said that the moment you believe in him, the kingdom of God is within you. We have the glimpse of the kingdom, and we have, quite frankly, the power of the kingdom. We just need to put it to work. Mm -hmm. And I try to help Christians understand all the time, Jesus has given you authority as ministers of the gospel, as ambassadors of the good news. You have authority and you have power, and yet oftentimes we don't put it to work, and we don't understand that. Too often we want to build an earthly kingdom, like a government, and Jesus is saying, no, let's build an eternal kingdom in our hearts that changes people, and those people in turn go out and change the world because of who they are and what they've done. Hmm. How often do you feel like you have a fresh insight to Scripture? Well, I don't want to sound overbearing or arrogant, but I've been doing this for 50-some years, and every week I'm getting a new insight. <laughs> I mean, every time I read the Scriptures, I say, wow, where did that come from? 
And I think it has a lot, I've read it before, but I think it has a lot to do with my situation, where I'm at, my walk, what's going on. So for me, at least, it's always enlightening, and I'm never disappointed by it. And I get to preach every week, and I love it because I keep discovering things that I didn't know before. And I'm thrilled by that. Yeah, I mean, after doing this for a while, you realize, I, I've, I've, you've read all this before, and but you don't understand everything perfectly. So there are often times where I'll read something. It's like, I know I knew that before, but all of a sudden it just, it's popping out in such a dramatic way. It's like, oh man, maybe I haven't read that before. No, I know I've read it before. It's like, but it just comes to to life in a new way. And I remember hearing one time that, that we will have all eternity to understand and to study and to read God's word because it is so deep it's going to take us eternity mm. to really understand it. Yeah, fantastic. We just have a minute left. Tom, would you close our hour out by praying for people who are struggling to believe? Absolutely. Lord Jesus, you are the king and the master, and you know exactly what goes on in the human heart, the doubt, the fear, the hiding, the chaos. Lord, we pray that those in our families, those listening today, whatever doubts they have, whatever is stopping them from believing, you will tear that down. You will reveal your presence to their hearts in ways that people have never seen before. And people will come to living faith in you because you are the answer to everything we need. So we thank you, Lord, for this time of uh, talking about your word. Now, let your word penetrate hearts and change lives. And uh, thank you, Jesus, for those that are listening and hear this message. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom Parrish, and thank you, Jeff Verdorn. You guys are amazing. I love our fellowship time, and I just love this hour of just hanging with my friends and talking about Jesus. There's nothing like it. I'll say it again. Second time in the same hour, but it's so true. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Yep. Have a great rest of the week. I'll see you next week. And that wraps up Guy Talk. Thank you for your great questions. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.